Welcome back to the second part of TJ's conversation with Justin. Turn the volume up and let's listen as TJ and Justin dig deeper into generative AI and engineering simulation. I think it's precise to kind of get some insights to it. I think it was certainly in the news and I think it made total sense to understand how it may help with safety. I think thanks for the use cases and examples there. So I would definitely take that. hope, you know, audiences feel valued just listening to that part of it. Another thing that certainly, you know, we want to learn more about that November last year, Siemens announced the launch of SimCenter Cloud HPC software as part of the ongoing collaboration between Siemens and AWS or Amazon Web Services. Given, you know, we are more, you know, always looking for customer experiences to be enhanced, advanced, you know, I just want to know if there is anything you want to talk about that how this expansion of access to software will allow for greater customer experiences for the organizations that use it. Or it may have a different spin to it, but would love to hear your thoughts. So I've been pretty serious so far, and I think this is meant to be kind of like a conversational thing. So I'll be a little silly, right? So, you know, first of all, I've spent way too many times in the past five and a half years at Siemens running simulations and sitting there waiting to see the results or going and doing something and then coming back and checking, right? So at least if we deploy our software in this way on cloud, we have other ways that make the simulation engineer's life much more enjoyable by accessing it through mobile or other means to sort of like monitor your jobs and stuff like that. But, you know, we're not promoting being workaholics, right? So the more serious answer is that, you know, if you're an SMB, you want to be mindful of how many IT people you have to hire to say, be experts in high performance computing and clusters that they'll send out for simulation jobs and stuff. So in this case, it's convenient because if you're a startup, for example, you know you don't have to have a bunch of those people or constrain your set your hiring to people who know all this information because they can just simply use their simulation products they need on our cloud. And that means no setup, no worrying about things. But it's also a huge encumbrance lifted as far as cost because really what it comes down to is there tends to be a trend where the more resources you have, like the more computational processing units or CPU, GPU, whatever, the more of those that you have, the more accurate and the more big jobs that you can simulate, the less assumptions you have to make, right? You can just maybe model the whole thing you're designing rather than having to simplify it or make a little simplifying assumptions so that way it's more manageable. You don't need as many CPUs to simulate it. So, you know, if you're a startup, it may be discouraging to think that you have to do this huge spend by a really big HPC. Whereas in this case, you can pay per unit to simulate on other configurations or maybe have 500 CPUs rather than the 64 you would have been able to afford if you did it in-house. So it's a lot of flexibility. It's a great option. It's more convenient, you know, in terms of how we know that software usage is going in the future, this direction of a distributed way on cloud and things like that. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the answers. So we're putting a lot of our software on the SimCenter Cloud HPC, the first of which is SimCenter Star CCM Plus, which is pretty much like my background, simulating fluid mechanics and things like that. Awesome. Well explained. Well, that kind of brings me to another sort of the other question, which is the more we're hearing you and your field of expertise and experiences, one of the key things for me, which I keep getting very intrigued about is the sustainability. How has a software you have been working on or things you have, may have worked in the past has helped in responding to the current needs in the industry for greater sustainability? And it's a big call, right, in terms of how we look into, you know, and that's why AI for good and other things exist today. Uh, but would love to know your thoughts in terms of how you and the software and the experiences you have built together for years 
is able to help the industry for greater sustainability? Yeah, well, there's a few ways to answer that question, but I think probably the most immediate way is you can look at big trends like electric vehicles, electrification, right? We have huge customer commitments and involvements with companies like General Motors, who is one of all of the automotive OEMs who are pushing for EV, right? And so, you know, you can look back as sort of like a silly gauge, like over the last three years, every Super Bowl, like how many commercials are there in electric vehicles, right? Dozens, okay? Go back like three years and you know that, well, no one really had electric vehicles and now they're all over the place, right? And you can see that this is a crazy, aggressive push to introduce this technology. And as a software provider to companies like them, we have to respond and include those types of physics models, those types of simulation capabilities, those types of way of getting fast answers, right? Because we know that the pressure our customers are under to do this fast turnaround time and all of a sudden have tons of electric vehicles, right? So first of all, is really serving as a provider of software in a customer-focused way, what they need as they need it, as you know, our goals in society change, right? As electric vehicles become a huge thing, we need to spot them with the right software. And machine learning helps, right? I mean, I think every summit, you know, there's kind of this debate of, well, we're increasing emissions with compute on these big clusters, but, you know, we're making big impacts and we're also trying to use models more responsibly that are smaller, that consume and emit less emissions and things like that. So we're being very mindful of all of these things to make it really economical, but also support major trends in our customer base that, you know, is what you see in magazines and in commercials and things that are very aware, right? Electrification batteries being one of them. Love that. And I think now that you talked about models to a bit, and I think given the the context of our show, for sure, how models and large language models, given there's so much talk about it, like, you know, ChatGPT, others, you know, BARD and beyond, or GPT-4 per se and, and beyond, be integrated into the future of engineering simulation to enhance capabilities. What's your take? Is it already happening? Or you see a future for that? Or you kind of already yourself, you know, digging deeper into those areas would love to know, you know, how LLMs pretty much are going to shape the future of engineering simulation. It's a profound impact and we're all looking at it and we're all invested in it because we see its potential and it's almost unilateral. I mean, it's not necessarily shocking ways that it would be used in our industry versus others. But again, it's really profound. I mean, what is the value of being able to train models that can be used in conversational form to perform tasks that are super annoying, time-consuming and require technical expertise. Like just this week, I saw there's this library, Pandas AI, that is related to the Pandas data frame for using and accessing your data. And you can just simply write now with an API call for OpenAI, you can just make simple conversational statements like, look at my data frame and please tell me how many data points lie outside the 75 percentile quartile. Like, How many of these are outliers, right? These are functions that are so important to using software that may normally take expertise, right? An aerodynamicist doesn't have to know stuff about statistics or machine learning, right? But with stuff like this, it's massive availability and democratization. So it's really profound. And I would say a very good tag to put on, like say how chat GPT can impact is expert assistance or expert guidance. You know, you can really have the knowledge of like a, 20-year principle distilled into models that look at very scientific data and then be called on by someone who started last week, right? And so there's, of course, themes of trustworthiness and confidence and the way that you need to use these models and monitor them, right? But, you know, it's great power. And so I think that it will definitely be transformative 
in a very pervasive way for engineering simulation. Love it. One of the things we are doing here within Yellow is certainly we have created something called as Yellow G. G stands for GPT or generative, as you may say. The whole thing has been around, you know, how can we build this multi-LLM architecture for solving different use cases? You know, we have summarization, which certainly is a great outcome of LLMs. Or you kind of looking through a complete Q&A or a you know, document to kind of build a document cognition. I think that's helping a ton. One just thought from your perspective, do you see multi-LLM as the sort of future as you know, kind of this journey is taking given? It looks like, and we also created a smaller model, right? Literally to kind of go through this question is, do you see the smaller models becoming a future as you kind of go through this journey or you have a different thought process and opinion on that? Well, we certainly want to let the best minds in the field of say LLMs do their thing right and provide their guidance. And I think a lot have echoed in the last few months that larger models are not the future, smaller models are. And so if that's what's being said, then right, we will take that as a starting point, which seems to be promising. I can't really overstate the impact that I think these language models will have. It, again, it's really exciting, right? It's almost like when the iPhone first came out, right? People are like, wow, this is really a way that I can have input output with things that are normally pertaining to like my phone or people or communication. It's going to be the same thing in this case of engineering communication. Awesome. And any thoughts on hallucinations? I mean, given if you're doing simulation to, I'm assuming you are always looking into the accuracy of the information, whether you're implementing you know, automation on top or whatsoever, or even kind of interacting with a, with a bot to get some information. How much do you see pure perspective hallucination really matters at the moment? I guess my understanding is the new LLMs people are trying to create is to reduce also the hallucination possible as much as possible. There will be some gets generative, but what's the acceptance for that? And then what's your thought on hallucinations precisely? Scary because... You know, if you're designing something that's life or death in terms of operation, right, you would always want to take methods that were invented and used since the 80s, right, versus any new thing, right? But that shouldn't stop us. So I think that for all machine learning type approaches in my field, including LLMs, the methodology of using machine learning should be set up in a physics-backed way so that we're not using black box models and interpretations of things without guide rails on foundational concepts, which could be the typical way that we design things and the simulations we use and the typical equations or rules of thumb a company has. So I think it should always be used with these guardrails up and including the hallucinations that may give you these overconfident, unusual answers that you maybe don't recognize. So I don't think we should be really unleashed in full reign and sort of like take over design processes. But I think it could be a situation where the design process in engineering is refactored to include these advancements that can make things really fast, but then also include, you know, checkpoints to kind of keep everything in check, right? It doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. And yeah, hallucinations are very scary because if we're probably asking these models to tell us things, it's probably on guidance for very, very complicated things we don't fully understand anyway, like turbulence, right? So we're already entering a scenario that's sort of touchy where we're asking for input from a black box something that's already what most people don't understand. So I think that expert knowledge needs to be formulated into the problem itself as much as possible. And that does not include just LLMs. And we can talk specifics if you want, because I know it sounds vague, but I really have specific things in mind. You can look up the phrase physics-informed machine learning. And I'm a big believer in that. Again, it's really about building things that you know from your engineering background into the problem setup. 
and then using machine learning on top of that, rather than just starting out and letting it go in any direction, if you want to call it that. Interesting. Physics informed machine learning. I'll take a note of that for sure. It's a good point. Well, thank you so much for that thought there, Justin. Now let's move on to just a few more questions here. One is certainly just given we're talking, you know, about you know the industry you're generally working on, and certainly we have viewers who are looking to build solutions with AI, generative AI, in specific industries. I would like to know in what ways can generative models or generative AI can contribute to the optimization of design and production, you know, sort of pipelines within the mechanical and aerospace industries. So the idea of generative engineering is pretty big in terms of mechanical and aerospace in this area that I sit in and see. So one sort of category of generative engineering that's especially obvious for a good solution for AI is systems design. So we talked a lot about like maybe simulating one individual component or something like that. But, you know, imagine you're at the very beginning of a project and deciding you want to build a drone and you're not all the way at the end of the process where you're picking between minute differences on how you design it, but you don't even know yet, is this going to be gas powered or battery powered? Is it going to look with this many propellers or this many? I mean, at that point, it's so early in the process that there's so many permutations possible on everything you could design. Engineering simulation, traditional methods would not be sufficient. You cannot run hundreds of thousands of individual simulations just to cover all the possibilities. So you need some intelligence there. And there's concepts from generative engineering you can borrow for system modeling and system design, which again is early stage in architecture design when you're designing any complicated thing like an airplane. And then I would say another class of uh, generative engineering or a way for generative AI techniques to play a role in a CAE. I mean, I really like variational autoencoders. You'll probably be outdated by something soon that you know every few years something surfaces that's catastrophic to the previous method. But I really like that because... You know, if I'm designing, for example, like the shape of a hull for a marine body, right? Like the actual vessel shape of what goes through the water as a really simple conceptual example. You know, I may be at my marine company with 10 years experience and say, we describe this shape with 10 geometric parameters or 20 geometric parameters. Oftentimes it's a lot of parameters, right? So for very nerdy reasons on simulation, you want fewer parameters, which makes it more affordable to simulate. Variational autoencoders can provide that condensed, the smaller latent space. So that's great. You can use principal component analysis or other ways to arrive at that limited set of variables, right? But then also it's like an alternative approach. So maybe that way that you've casted your problem in 20 variables in the shape of something is not exactly the best way possible. Maybe if you just throw a bunch of tessellated surfaces for your different design options, at a variational autoencoder, it can come up with a better way to parameterize it that can actually produce better designs. And then where the real money is, is once it's parameterized and you train some machine learning models on simulations, so maybe you involve like an active learning approach, so you can use the minimum amount of simulations to maximally learn the space, and the space meaning the relationship of the geometry from like an autoencoder to the simulation results. Well, then you can unlock this capability of like inverse design where now you just say, I want these results. Please generate a design that can satisfy it. Rather than a traditional engineering approach where I say, let me constantly tweak the geometry and produce simulation results, and then tell me the best geometry, right? So it kind of unlocks a paradigm. And there's a lot of other specific industry reasons on why that's better or could be better. But essentially, you see the same thing as like the, an electric vehicle example. The main priority now is 
please produce something in half the time to bring it to market. And if you do design approaches like this, it starts to get more and more possible. Wow. You explained it so well. And I think one of the key things with me, my first interaction with anything generated was GANs, where we actually, you know, and we did GANs in many ways, but I think, you know, with Vertex and, and whatnot. And then, but my whole thing with like really touching and working with GANs was producing music, right? So the whole idea was when you are just playing anything, but you can actually whatever the tune you just paid, you don't have to be a musician, but with the help of generative, you can actually convert that into a really good music. So that was the first interaction. And I think I love the example of the VAE. And now that, yeah, a new class of generative things with GPT and whatnot we're dealing with, but I totally could understand some aspect of it, but the rest you just explained so well. Thank you so much for the clarity here. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll just interject one other tie because I think this is like sci-fi level excitement for me. Did you see the thing? I think it was with Adobe. It was like a commercial where they basically had like a road, a picture of a road, and then they showed interactively in their software with these generative AI techniques. You could just say like, add a deer, add lines on the road, add bushes, and it was completely photorealistic, right? So I don't know exactly how to integrate and consume that into CAE space and engineering space of simulation, but right, I mean, that has to play a role. That's absolutely phenomenal. And what's the quote? Sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I mean, that was just magic, right? So I'm really excited about that as a prospect for engineering simulation. So one of the other question is, and given, you know, and it's just being a little bit more thinking about the custom experiences and user experiences, I just want to take your opinion in terms of beyond what you're seeing, what you work on and experiences. How do you see generative AI specifically impacting the entire custom experience space in the next five to 10 years? I want to say 10 years, but either way, the way we're innovating at the moment and the way we're going to market, I think five years is a good example. So would love to know, how do you see generative AI impacting the customer experience space in the next five years, per se? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I'm not particularly young anymore, right? But I still think of myself as like a youngish engineer, but there's still engineers 10 years younger. So I just think that now in my generation and younger generations, the standard on what it is like to use software is just dramatically changing. And it's revolved around being much more accessible, much more open, much more intuitive for collaboration amongst other people. And I think that generative AI is like one of the only ways to make that possible in terms of the requirements that they see when they think of buying expensive software, right? So I think that sometimes you see a big push in fidelity in engineering and, and improvements to efficiency and things. I think there will be a period where that's not the larger focus. Really, the demand is the experience of what it's like to use the software because now we have fundamentally different expectations from younger generations on what it's like to use the software. I Like I said, I think generative AI is one of the biggest things to make that possible. I can't think of much else that would be. I mean, maybe the previous would be like cloud and SaaS as a way of using software, but this even still feels like a step change. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's kind of where, you know, we operate on heavily is to make the customer experience so amazing, you know, whether through the interaction with all the automation we're doing and there's so much we're achieving, you know, there was this long tail of, you know, different use cases, which we could never touch with limited automation. Now with generative AI, we could do that. And it's all dynamic workflows. Everything is in the runtime. So we definitely see more human-like conversations, more empathy, which certainly is making things even easier and better. And the customers, at least on our end, who have adopted some of our offerings on generative AI, I think they're just seeing the value straight away. 
and also like the amount of time you need to set it up right it's all like you have a goal which you need to put together in a prompt way and like write the prompt for it and literally you know work the workflows and runtime so it's an exciting space just certainly want to take your opinion how you feel so thanks for sharing that last but not the least this is like more of a closing question for you if you could go back in time and give career advice to yourself your old 21 year old self what it would be and second maybe for others you know all the budding engineers who are coming up getting into the space hearing all the hype and the facts at the same time how would you kind of give them some direction to focus on as they grow in their careers and take up generative ai or this entire new world altogether by start that's a lot of things a lot of regret to go back and try to undo <laughs> okay so one of the first thing that pops in my head was that i wish i did a better job at networking the day that i started college like the very first day of undergrad right cuz that's thousands of connections right that you could just accumulate from basic interactions at university and things like that and you just never know and i think that one of the most important things in nowadays is connectivity right and you see how that takes over social media and other things it just really affords a lot of opportunities so i think in career path that's also super important so i would just highly recommend being intentional at building a network and in that way no matter where your technical curiosities take you in the career that you pick you know you'll probably have people that you know if you were diligent with networking and that sort of thing so that's one thing i think having a mentor is very very important i think that it's maybe awkward to start that process of thinking about the mentor why you'd want them to be a mentor and then asking them and stuff and maybe you can't always have that there's not always the right person to ask but i think that's really just super critical i think that's really important and is a huge thing that you can do for yourself and it gets you in the practice of thinking about like meta information right like you're going through school and you're studying it's so easy to just focus on what you're studying and getting good grades right but furthermore i mean it's really important to ask yourself like why are you doing what you're doing with what you're doing today how's that going to impact you in 5 years or 10 years do you really want to be going down that path is there really other things you should be exploring i mean it's so hard when you're focused on achieving like good grades or performing well at your job to keep getting mindful and leaving that space focused to think more broadly and having a mentor really helps i think with that so that's another one and i guess on the technical side one thing that i could have done a lot better at especially at very early ages in undergrad would be making it a point to allocate some of my time to trying just a lot of diverse open source things right now everything is so open source you know you can keep a long list of everything that you want to try and learn and just get a little bit of experience in and i think that stuff builds over time and it's so helpful so maybe just computer science exercises or things from other disciplines like industrial engineering or manufacturing i mean these things really play a role over time and I think it's good that sometimes you get exposed to really good opportunities to learn things and that opportunity passes you by and it's a class or like a seminar or a person you met and I would just be mindful that if you get opportunities to learn little things like that it can make you quite diverse and well established later on especially now when every week there's a new breakthrough in something stem related and ai related and you know you should carve out time to pay attention to that great suggestion you know well said I agree on the having a mentor that is such an important one i totally agree i mean i have had mentors over a period of time but just having that at the younger age is so critical so taken well a few final thoughts from you before we close this just want if you can share your opinion on the industries or the organizations they are who are trying to take their journey for broader automation simulation or even generative ai 
in the aerospace industry or even like broadly any other industry, what sort of advice would you give them? You know, certainly there is more education needed for sure, but then there is now a buying decision that's certainly happening to kind of go and, you know, take a plunge. But what are the things you would ask them to be thoughtful about and how they should, you know, really embark the journey if they have to? Just your thoughts on that, Jerson. Well, from my experience, some companies offer support throughout, you know, your patronage when you buy their products. Some people just categorically say we don't support it. It's on you to figure it out. And others say the opposite, right? I'm in favor of the support model. So I would say that's a pretty big consideration. I would also consider compatibility with open source tools and things like that of that nature. I think something like 30 odd percent of publications, I think it's a survey from 2021 in machine learning were open source in terms of providing all of the code and data. So I think that it's important that if you're doing something that involves simulation and AI, that you consider how much of it's open source and how much of it's closed off. I don't know how to articulate it super well, but I would say the last point would be consider the breadth of what a software can do, right? Because some obviously focus on specializing in one very narrow and niche thing, which is great because then it can do that problem extremely well. But then, especially if you're a smaller company, you want to do more types of things. Those sort of options really fall off quick when you change the application or what type of thing you're trying to simulate. Whereas other products really pride themselves in being able to do a ton of different things, right? So I think that's a pretty critical decision as well as support, you know, as well as like open source nature compatibility. That way, you know, the reality is they're probably using a lot of different tools. So you should consider how well those will play nicely or not. Oh, that's a good one, actually. Just thinking the breadth of what the software could do and then eventually extending the the possibilities of it. Well thought. Cool. Justin, this has been amazing. I have to tell you, like, there's so many things which you just talked about. No, seriously, I mean, there's so many notes people could take back from here and just learn from it. And the space you're operating on and the sort of experiences purely from what you have studied and how you're applying that in your current job and building software and applications. I think that's massive. And and the, the viewpoint, I think, on some of the aspects we discussed was phenomenal. So I really want to thank you, Justin, for, you know, being part of our show and talking about, you know, your experiences in the industry and eventually also talking about generative AI in general. So on that note, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, there's a lot of nice things to say. I'm not sure I deserve all of them, but, you know, it was a pleasure to be here. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm always open to follow up so people can feel free to reach out to yourself or me to have a dialogue opened up. And I'm glad you think it was useful. It's, it's always a challenge to be topical and inclusive in how you talk, but not be overly vague to where people listen and don't get anything out of it. I really don't like that myself when I listen to podcasts. I really want to get something out of what someone's saying. So yeah, I'm happy you invited me and I'm happy you're happy with it. That's been amazing, as I said. So thank you so much again. And we'll definitely be in touch. And for the audience, we will, if they have questions or they want to be connected, we will definitely make that happen, Justin. Oh, appreciate it so much. Thank you. How impactful was that episode? Not Another Bot, the Generative AI Show, is brought to you by Yellow.ai. To find out more about Yellow.ai and how you can transform your business with AI-powered automation, visit ye. L-L-O-W dot A-I. And then make sure to search for The Generative AI Show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Yellow.ai, thank you for listening.